Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. That's, you know what I never learned? Okay, that's the, uh, that's the hammer on the guitar notes. Could you do that? That one? Yeah. Well, he's just really good, but the hammer and the slides. No, no, no. Perry's got this. It's just real strong and crisp and clear. Right. No way I could never do that. Did you ever uh, learn the hammer dulcimer? You were Swedish. <laughs> That's a Swedish it's not thing. Swedish. I think it's Irish or something. I I thought I saw that uh, Christopher is Guest movie. Swedish. Well, if it is, Did you ever I, see the movie A Mighty Wind? No. Uh, yeah, I love yeah. it. Christopher Guest. Yeah. It's uh, folk music. Right. But it's the, funny. Uh, that might be my favorite one. Yeah, it's, it's really funny. It's not really like the most popular. The dog show is the like, best of show. Yeah. Well, here we are back, round two, Father Mike, Father hey, John, hey, he's, uh, he's got his hand in the mint box. Ah, yes, having a little mint. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> you got all kinds of chemicals around you over there. <laughs> full of it, man. I got LaCroix, LaCroix. I, got the, I got the mint box. Mint like box, Advil. About 30 books on my armrest. Yeah, I got a lot going on there. The um, Well, we got we to gotta start with a very funny comment um, that my old pal here just said to me as soon as we finished the oh, podcast. Oh, no. I, didn't, I knew it was going to frustrate him, but... No, it's not frustrating. It was a good podcast. That's why I'm like, I can't stop the train. So am I supposed to say? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So we just did a, recorded a... Uh, a podcast on this awesome new book that Father John just read <laughs> called Man at Play. Amazing that nobody Hugo, was ever Hugo familiar Ryan. with that's completely new. And this virtue of eutropalia <laughs> that is like the theme of the book. And so afterward, I told him, well, that was cool. Thanks for sharing with that. Um, that was like my third topic on this show. Yeah, that way, was podcast. when we started. Podcast number six, Eutropalia. <laughs> Eutropalia, about that book. Well, here's the But new- it's one of my favorites. So the idea was that was an eight-minute show back right, then. So right. basically, you can like name the virtue and then define it, right. and that's it. Like, have a good day, folks. Have a good day, folks. So to talk about it for an extended... I, uh, um, yeah, so what about, here's a new uh, idea for a rule. Um, every 10 years you get to redo the topic. That was oh, 10 yeah. years ago. Oh, yeah, dude. I do it, I do it every six months. Yeah, right. And Goebel calls it out, but I right. don't know. Okay, good. So I don't really care. I think, like, we're pretty creative guys, and I'm proud of that. Like, that's yeah. great. After right. 10 years, we've covered, like, tons of stuff that Lots we've never, and we're also, like, we, we stay curious and interested. Right. So we learn stuff and right. then try to share it. So praise God, that's just like how we're made and it's cool. But there's a point where you don't have anything more. No. You're not original. Right. You've got interests, you've got styles, there's right. limitations. And it's going to kind of come back to those things. Yeah. And I'm sure our audience, I think I'm infinitely, um, I don't know, creative. Right. And that you guys are too. But I'm sure our audience could say, I know what you're going to talk about next week. It's this, this, and this with different language or a different book as the center or whatever. Right. Right? People do that with their pastor preaching. Greg Peterson uh, zinged me one time. He wasn't even trying to, but he was like, what's the name of the podcast this week? And I said, Anima Technica Vaca. And he goes, haven't you done that like six times already? And I was like, (laughs) probably. Yeah. So... Everything exactly. good is stolen, as Monsignor Glenn used to say. You know, thought, yeah, and uh, you know, it's good to kind of recycle things. We're we're into recycling. What about this? 
this has nothing to do with you, what you're saying. <laughs> um, the, I just got one of these notifications or emails from Uber Eats. Uh. And I have unsubscribed to Uber Eats so many times that I'm starting to suspect a plot uh. where I never even signed up for Uber Eats. <laughs> so I have no idea how they got my email. But I think they have one of these strings. Like a lot of these things have like one button that you put unsubscribe. And it says, well, we're sad to see you go, but you have been unsubscribed to all of our uh-huh. emails. Somehow, Uber Eats must have one for all the different categories of food. Like I, So I unsubscribed to the thing, and it says, you are unsubscribed. But that was only for like fried foods. <laughs> but you're, you're still signed up for the vegetable for delivery. Yeah, exactly. And the, the butcher so shop. So are you getting just invites to uber eats because i'm actually getting uber eats or one of these equivalent texts so it's the same one every Did you time give them my hey, email Gen- hey jennifer uh <laughs> snarfs is on its way your snarf sandwich is on its way i get th- I mean, she's eating a lot of snarfs okay i'm like jennifer <laughs> no she's honey. not because she's not getting her sandwich it's coming to you well i'm not getting it either so i don't know i don't know who's getting what but oh Gen- so she just doesn't know it's going to be showing up at the door she doesn't know it's showing up at the door I know it's showing up at the door. I don't know how to tell Jennifer. Hey, Jennifer in Denver. <laughs> Jennifer in Denver, who's going hungry? Please. I think she's eating a lot of snarfs, or she's really dumb, and she's because she's paying for it, obviously, right? So, yeah, I get this two or three times a week. Jennifer's lunch order. It's like I don't know what's going on here, but there's got to be a better plan. But I think you're right. There's, there's actually, you, yeah, there's no way to disconnect that? from this this stuff. Like, just can't hit the button. You can't call Jennifer and say, "Hey, look." Uh, Sorry, Jennifer. If something urgent comes in and your friend is really distraught, I'll yeah. call you and let you know to call him. Right. Exactly. I don't really get any. I got a new number maybe, I don't know, six months ago something. And I'm not really getting calls from the old like user. But I do know that there's a lot of friends who are trying to get in touch with me. Yeah. And they get mad because... I'm not responding. Right. And then they send me an email. And then they're like, I've been texting you for months. Why don't you get back to me? I know. uh, It's because I have a different number. So they're texting somebody else. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's like you, but I would lose my number. I'd get a number for the summer and then lose it. Yeah. Go back to Europe for the year and then, you know, pick up a new one. And That's trouble. People were just like, could not. This was just, sorry, we, we, how many phone numbers do you have? And I'm like... You know, it just changes, so you got to change it in your phone book. But that's a big hassle for people. So my birthday's coming up, which means that the old number guy is going to get blasted again, and he gets really pissed off every year on August twenty seventh because it's all these, you know, kind of meaningless birthday. Hey, happy birthday! He gets like oh. he'll get fifty of them at the old number or whatever, and um, he just so he gets really mad. This happens every year. Can he put an automatic reply just for one day? This is sad for his friends. Automatic reply to all the texts that says, I am not Friar John or whoever you think I am. Uh, what do you... Th- I th- I don't know. Can you do auto auto replies on text? I don't think so. They should this really... Is an, this is an invention. Please. They should really create Steve that. Steve Jobs, listen to me. <laughs> um, if you had... I could just see yours. Thank you for your text message. Uh, what did you... You were going to do an email one. I will prayerfully respond consider a response in the next 60 to 90 days yes, god bless you i will you. discern a response <laughs> uh, you, i wonder what people who are not catholic think fr before your name is. right in germany that's 
Frau. Uh, Frau. Yeah. That's like Mrs. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think they think? Friar? I don't think they think about it at all. Friend? I think so. a lot of times we think people will think about this stuff. I don't mm. think they're not thinking about that. They're thinking about, you know. I know, but sometimes. Everybody's you, if, stoned also. That's I know the they're thing. not like worrying about it, but if they get caught off guard, then they might think about it. Yeah. Like there's people out there when I go walking around Denver in my blacks, and there's a white tab. It's like you, if you've seen some movies with priests, you know what that is, but right. they don't know what that is. So they say, hey, are you a caterer or something? Right. Or if I'm at the grocery store, they ask me where things are in the aisle. Because <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you, if you work at these businesses, you wear black. Yeah. Well, uh, that is funny that you're in a black shirt, so they think you're restocking yeah. the shelves. Yeah. Oh, can I help you? I don't work here. And I've had, like, do you actually help them? You, or do when you, you say... turn to them and they see you don't have a name badge or they see the collar, then they're like, oh, okay. Oh, sorry. But I, recently, I've had. I've had people who are like, uh, they don't they don't get it. Yeah. I have to explain to them. Oh, I don't I don't work here. Right. Oh, this is a different uniform. Right. Oh, that's different. Yeah. You don't have the King Supers logo on your thing. Yeah. You know who could do that is Goble. He knows where everything is in a grocery store. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He, should, he could be like he aisle seven. There. You're looking for olives, aisle seven. You know. He's the unofficial chaplain of every grocery he store. He might be. And he was giving me a hard time recently about you got to teach your guys how to cook. And, I was like, and how to shop in those grocery stores. And how to shop in the grocery stores. Very are. important. He hates this whole, um, you know, like where they bring the groceries to your place, uh, and order yeah. them. Uber Quick, Eats. <laughs> click link. What is it? I don't even shop. Like, yeah, it's Uber Eats, kind of, except for groceries. Yeah. yeah. So, well, yeah, I he's on it. He's now on it. that you're a cook because you got your vegetable book. I got my vegetable book. Thank you, Barb. Yep. No, that's, um, we'll see. I think it's still over, completely overrated. So, cooking that is okay well then let's talk about world war one all right <laughs> <laughs> if that's the case <laughs> it's the non sequitur day i love it those how we even got on the topic of uber eats i don't even know but let's do it world war one no um hold on i have to think about how i wanted to frame the whole discussion okay so part of the discussion is going to be or i guess where i want to end up is what is the what is the role of the church in the world? Why is there a church? Big, huge macro picture. You're an ecclesiologist, so I'm thinking of Lumen Gentium, but not the details. Just the question. Okay. Like, why does the church exist? Okay. And then, um, want to look at this fascinating book that I just read, or just very simply summarize it, but ask some provocative questions about it. The book okay. is called Man at Play. The, man, the book is Hugo Rahner, Man at Play. <laughs> I was just introduced to a virtue called Eutropalia. Okay, so the book uh, is 1917 by Warren Carroll. Warren Carroll. And I don't know, I think, I think Father Brady gave us this book for one of those Christmas presents. Oh, really? Companions. Maybe? Maybe. I don't think I have that one, but Warren Carroll's great. So, I don't know. Maybe I picked it up somewhere. Anyway. What did you think? He's got this book called 1917. Warren Carroll is a, a historian scholar who you know well. You've read like huge tracts of his stuff, right? Yeah, he has a history of Christendom series. Yeah. He founded Christendom College. He founded Christendom College, yeah. And he went, um, he got his degree from Columbia University and then got really passionate about telling the story of Christianity through time in an honest way and like a, I don't know, what would you call it? Like a, 
um, I don't know, like a positive way. Right. Like as someone who sees it as helpful to the world, you know, the, the Christian presence in the world. Um, I don't, that's not a very good description. But anyway, he started Christendom College. He's brilliant. He's written these huge, huge. series. Right. Uh, and then this is a very short book called 1917, where he talks about the year um, where the war is ending, um, World War One. You're talking about um, the Bolshevik Revolution is just happening. And um, and he's going to go into a lot of detail about um, mostly the kind of politics that are a discussion that's happening um, related to World War One. Some of the major players, um, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the um, the Germans who are involved, the French, the British, and then kind of the Americans, but it's not really about World War One as such. Mm-hmm. Then there's like the intrigue surrounding the uh, development of communism in Russia, which I didn't know. Like Lenin and Stalin were real outsiders. Mm-hmm. They were like kind of coming up with the theory, and they, but they were living out in Switzerland and then kind of snuck back in just to start the revolution, and it was a really fast thing. Um, but the people were pretty unhappy with their government for a long time. And after years of war, where everybody's losing their life, um, and then the economy's terrible and people are starving, you could see why like revolution was in the air. Yeah. But um, there's fascinating characters involved, like Rasputin, who, who Nicholas the Tsar... He's like the last reigning czar in Russia, and his wife are good um, Christians. They're good Orthodox, uh, Russian Orthodox. Um, but his his leadership is kind of like in question by this point. Um, but he's it's like the family reign. That's what the czar is. He's kind of like a king, and um, and then you have this guy Rasputin who tried to get into politics, and he was like this charming but sneaky and sinister character, who at one point. Uh, they don't trust him, and he's getting in a lot of trouble. He's a priest, right? And so he becomes a priest. Uh. He goes to the monastery, and he becomes a priest. But he's known for being a philanderer, and he's a thief, and he's a big liar, and he's so manipulative that he gets pretty well kicked out of the monastery. And basically, they don't have the same system where they can remove your faculties, but they can tarnish your reputation, so nobody wants to have you around okay. for their priest. Okay. However... He kind of promoted his own cult for a while, where he was like claiming to do miracles and claiming to have these like great victories for uh, by preaching and all of this kind of stuff. And because he promoted himself so much, he he earned a lot of like acclaim and mystique around him. And the wife of um, Tsar Nicholas, when their kid was sick, she asked Rasputin to pray for the kid, and the kid healed really quick. So she considered it a miracle of mm. healing for um, for their child, and then kept Rasputin close to the family throughout life. And all the other governors, uh, like all, everybody else who was close in government, they were always trying to get rid of this Rasputin. But he was, um, he was so beloved by um, the family that they wouldn't just get rid of him, even though he was a terrible person and a crazy tyrant. But he caused so much instability in the government. He had to be like assassinated by some of the highest officials in the land. Um, and that in the midst of that un- unrest, you get 
the uh, the communists sneaking in, coming back, being brought back in, and then this huge revolution that happens real fast. So, so Rasputin is killed in 1917 or earlier. He's or? he's killed earlier, but I think it's pretty close within a year or two. Huh. Um, but a wild you know, biographical story about Rasputin anyway. He's not really the essence of the book, but I just found it fascinating. I didn't know really anything about this, Um, the origins, the kind of history around the Bolshevik Revolution. Okay, so then you have the, um, this big revolution happening in Russia, and on the same days that very important decisions are being made, back in Portugal on a hillside, at Fatima, you have Our Lady appearing above a bush to the children of Fatima and asking them to pray the rosary for the conversion of the world. Eventually, it's known, it's made known that they should pray for the conversion of Russia. But these kids had no idea what was over there. Mm. This was like long before there was um, Twitter and um, global connection and everything. Um, they were out in the countryside, so they were probably, I mean, they would have been aware of World War I, but that was really close to home, you know? What they were worried about being so close to Spain and having, you know, connection with Great Britain and with, um, with France is, like, people are dying every day, and we've been fighting this war for years and um, with attrition all the time, and if they were concerned with anything, it would have been their local kind of life and politic and um, stability and everything. And Mary appears over there and asks these little children, pray for this, this country across the world who is going to undergo something that is going to really change the world. As if, well, I don't know. I can't say as if the World War I is not. But she sees a priority that they don't and gives them this mission that transcends anything that they could even imagine. Mm. That they're supposed to pray for the conversion of Russia, and specifically for sinners, so that this doesn't destroy the world. Um, And uh, this ideology, this whole social revolution and movement, some of the characters themselves. um, So I found it just a fascinating read to see. He juxtaposes and kind of goes back and forth from Fatima to Russia, and, um, and then occasionally kind of uh, bridges the gap and talks about World War I happening in middle Europe, you know. Um, so it's a fascinating read at that level. You ever you ever recognize that, the kind of timing? I mean, I'd never uh, even I thought about it. I had heard, I think, Larkin read this book and was the first to tell us just the correspondence. And you hear about it, but... Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how all of this comes together. And really, I mean, World War I is the end of the modern world, right? That's the, it's the whole modern project of everything is getting better all the time. We're prog- progressing. Everything is great. It just, the whole thing collapses. You know, a mm-hmm. third of the men in Europe are killed in World War I. It's yeah. Un- uh, you know, first modern this- to- warfare, so you have tanks and gases and all this yeah. kind of bomb. I mean, there's a, that movie, 1917, did you see it? No. Worth seeing. Um, yeah. Some people think it was really boring, but it's it just shows the horror of of the war and uh, what the what the trenches were like and uh, the destruction of uh, the destruction of the whole continent. In some yeah. Way, so, and the modern philosophers when they had started and like you say, this all this optimism of the Enlightenment and everything was 
we can make the world perfect. Mm-hmm. It's going to be paradise. Everybody's yeah. going to, you know, it's recognize that we're all, you know, save the noble savage, return to the land and everything. And then it, in reality, becomes this technology advance and progress to the point of having the tools to kill each other in mass. Yeah. Um, to, to kind of revealing that underbelly. Yeah. Um, but real reality, you know. Okay, so you've got 1917. You got this juxtaposition of um, the kind of what's happening in the world and then the very simple call to prayer that, in fact, has lasted and I think is going to last for a very long time. The shrine in Fatima the, is probably going to be there long after the statues in, um, at the Kremlin are there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a, a knock on Russia or whatever. The, the whole world has got its um, versions of these things. Um, and it, it made me think about um, the simplicity of the call of the church and what's the mission of the church. Um, sometimes people think when, when you hear that phrase, pray for the conversion of sinners, that's like, oh, that's, that's about my conversion. Right. Or that's about the conversion of the, my, um, I don't know, relative who is um, not practicing or something like that. And I think there's something to that, um, but there's something so huge and grand in scope and horizon of the church's mission that I think that story taps into. That these kids are saving the world, or they're being a light to the nations, or they're bringing hope where there was a lot of chaos and darkness. And um, and so there's this kind of juxtaposition between what is the what is the mission of the church? On the one hand, it's like the church exists to save individual souls. Jesus calls the individual person and is sanctifying them and saving us from the chaos and misery and evil and sin and death. Um, and on the other hand, the church doesn't exist for ourselves. It's always supposed to be a light to the rest of the world. So if you think on um, the Old Testament ecclesiology, if you will, it's the majority of it is not about individual souls. Right. You know, find me in the Bible. If you read the Old Testament, you're going to find much more of God addressing Israel or the prophets addressing Israel as a society, as a chosen people. But it's really the collection that God is sanctifying and not just sanctifying for themselves, although that's real and important, is sanctifying them for the mission that they have in the world, which is to reveal God to the world by this, um, this kind of um, loving, loving God choosing a, a certain people and helping them through time. This little crippled, um, well, little people, but who's faithful and lives by hope and their connection with God. They're pious. Um, so there's both this thing where God has chosen us and is doing something special. And then also, it's not just for us, it's for a greater mission. So I wanted to ask you about that. As, your, as our house ecclesiologist, um, do you th- is it fair to say that the end is um, is more important than the means, which is like our going to church and um, being sanctified? That's the only means. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to say there's another way, and you should yeah. just listen to Beatles music and then be a nice person. Right. Um, but is it very is it important for the Christian to see the big picture of like 
the church exists. I exist as a part of the church for the sake of this whole revolution of history. Yeah. Uh, great question. Huge question. Um, I think that the, uh, well, first off, I would totally agree when you say, you know, the scriptures are not principally concerned with the question of individual salvation. Paul is not specifically concerned with the question of individual salvation. Luther was, and Calvin was. Yeah. So that's a 16th century um, kind of individualization of and recasting of how the Christian life is lived and what is its purpose. And it really does de-emphasize, if not completely detach at times, the necessity of the church. And I would yeah. say, I think it's important to distinguish like the indiv- the individual's drama with God uh-huh. is something that belongs to the Christian tradition for a long time. You take Augustine's whole story, and it's about his conversion. Um, the theology of the Middle Ages, all about morality, that's about the individual and how God works with the soul. Right. Um, so that's that's there. That's a question. But then you can still have, like, that's being done, like the sanctification of a person is being done for the sake of the mission of the church, right. rather than this blunt question of Luther and the Reformation of who's going to heaven, who's going to hell, right? which isn't necessarily, the, that's not the same thing as what's the mission. Right. Um, and what, and, and how a mission, this is very Balthazarian here for a second, but how mission configures us as persons. From a theological perspective. So this is a bit abstract, but um, something changes in you when you take on the life of Christ. Grace is not just kind of like, kind of we just collect kind of merit badges and, you know, kind of get more things that kind of make us look prettier when we go to heaven or whatever. But your whole, your existence changes when you take on Christ because you become, A, a person who's living in communion with God, but then is always sent, right? There's no such thing as just resting in God. We're always sent in mission, like mm-hmm. you're saying. So that's why the interplay between the per- the world and God is so important in the human soul, in the way that this all plays out. That's why World War One matters. That's why ideas matter. We're mm-hmm. not just like the hell with it, just leave the world to, to it, but we're sent into the you world. We're not in heaven yet. We're not in heaven yet. And so I think that's where the question of the church comes in, is the church is... As Augustine has this great line, he says, uh, mundus reconciliatus ecclesia. The church is the world reconciled to God. Yeah. That's it. And um, and so, reconciling the world to God. And reconciling the world. Absolutely. Like we share in the mission of Jesus. Right, right. And, and to qualify that, it would be the, the instrument that God uses to reconcile the world, that Jesus is reconciling the world in God. So we become... So we become the church, like the church doesn't exist in buildings, and I always say this to my guys, it's not just like places, it's humanity, right? Because the incarnation is the location of the church, this is the body of Christ that we're talking about. So if we're interested in reconciling the world to God, which is his principal work, then we become, we take on mission. And last point here, because I could go on and on about this, and, and stop me if I've already brought this up, but because I forget what we've talked about the last 10 years, but especially the last couple of months. <laughs> Jacques Maritain has this great line where he says, the individual exists for the community and the community exists for the person. Mm. And that threefold movement 
the individual exists for the community, the community exists for the person, is elevate that he's saying this on a natural philosophical level, but that can be elevated theologically in the sense that when we when we take on Christ, we divest ourselves of our individuality and we take on the church. We become Christians. Mm, yeah. But it doesn't mean that we're just empty, but it transcends something. It creates in us a new kind of personhood. And that's what you're speaking about with mission, is that all of a sudden we become a new creation. This is the new man. This is the new Mike. You know, when you and I were 18 yeah. and, and had serious conversions and, and went to seminary, it was the, the mission is what, and we became new persons. Like, yeah. Everything changed for us. It wasn't just like... Yeah, who you are, yeah. why you are, why you wake up in the morning. Right. It's not the survival thing. You've been attached to a community. Right. Um, and then, yeah, just your whole definition changes. And that personhood, yeah. And 1917 might be the most striking example of what happens if you break that down. Because what you get is radical individuality right. and radical commu- communism, communism uh, communitarianism, yeah. or whatever you want to call it. So the collapse of the modern individualistic project and the rise of the communist revolution happen in the same right. year because both are built on the rejection of Christian personhood. When you reject the Trinity as persons and you reject the God-man and in the incarnation, his ability to make us persons in communion for mission, then this is, you're, you're back stuck in the individual versus the communal, and you can't, the one and the many, and you can't hold them together, so you take one to the extreme and you get kind of this kind of Modern idealism or Buddhist renunciation as one extreme, which is in no way communal, just completely individualistic, or Protestant kind of salvation-based Christianity. And then the other side is this, the radical communal, communitarianism where everything is rejected. Yeah, Watch Chernobyl and see where this goes. See where 1917 goes. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like a two-step process. God has chosen someone and brought them into a community, and there's a special relationship that is developed that is privileged and is really a, a point of dignity and joy. I'm baptized. I've been transformed. I have the Holy Spirit and an identity as a child of God. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, it's something you can rest in, mm-hmm. but only rest in for a while. We'll be in heaven sometime. Um, but um, but is also it comes with a call to the mission. And I think one of the things I wanted to point out with that is that, well, one, is that you can't just get worried about how good a Catholic am I being. So, yeah, we are called to holiness through that, um, like, conformity to Christ. But if I sit around trying to get everything right all the time Mm -hmm. and... Um, trying not to do this, the certain sins or perfect my moral life. I, it's not like, yes, if you are moral, like uh, sitting mortally all the time and your life is falling apart and it's like so, uh, you know, enslaved to vice that you can't think on God or love anybody, then you, you got to focus on that area. Right. And God's going to take you there. Um, but for the most, most part, most Catholics I meet, they're, they're doing all right there. But they a lot can be preoccupied with um, how am I doing as a you know am I am I doing the right things in church am I figuring out um, they're preoccupied with the issues of the church and details of the liturgy or um, arguments among the community of service that they belong to or right. all of these things um, 
And I think we can lose a big perspective. Like we're here as a gift to the world. Our prayer can change the world. And I guess I wanted to make a call for folks to pick a cause, learn about something outside of the bubble. You know, learn about something that you care about in the world of Islam or in the world of um, Japan or happening with like concerns that you see with wars in Syria or in Sudan or drug wars in Mexico or some sort of cause that's causing a lot of people to suffer and to suffer outside and that they need help, but we're, we're far from. And I, part of the message is we can... We have been given a mission that we can achieve for the sake of the world way outside of our our ability to actually like do something. You say like people are starving in Sudan on account of the civil war. Well, if I can't send money or I can't give them bread, then what can I do? Pray for the conversion of the world. Right. These children save the world. You know, pray the rosary for the conversion of the world. That means to help someone who's trapped in a, a, a situation where they're suffering unjustly or where they're, they're setting themselves up for failure. They're making decisions for, uh, that are going to ruin their life. Yeah. That's what we mean by sin. It's not like, you know, pick someone to judge and then, you know, kind of, um, get on your high horse and then call them to, no, it's like people are really suffering and uh, and they they're in need of the Christians saying, I can do something because I'm connected to a spiritual order that's much bigger than other people are. Mm-hmm. I have resources that other people don't, mm. like the help of the saints. I have a, a relationship with God where I can call on Him and say, "You do something, you intervene on this." You know. Yeah, I think it's a. Um, I think that the the crazy circumstances of the time we're living in are affording these new possibilities to kind of think in a in a fresh way about how is the Christian life being lived in the world right now, and one of those is the question that you're asking, which is how do I immerse myself more deeply in the world in an authentically Christian way, mm-hmm. and that begins with contemplating the question of why does God love the world, for God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, right? I mean, this is the the basic Christian truth. The incarnation. God descends into the world and he he draws us into the world. And the majority of the people who listen to this podcast are in the lay state, meaning they're in the world. You need to be immersed in the secular world. You need to be preoccupied in a, in an authentic way, in a Christian way, with the things of the world. We don't need you fighting with the priests over, you know, how wide the linens are on the altar or whatever, or who gets to hold the chalice or, you know, like who gets the, you know. I mean, honestly, it's like, if you're really pissed off about you can't receive communion on the tongue and that's like the biggest thing for you right now, you're probably not preoccupied in the right things. Like this is just our conversation last night. Quit quit badgering your priests about it. Like get out and start turning this the sacrifice of your heart and your life and living your priesthood in the world as a layperson. And that, and that's and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be held accountable or we shouldn't be receiving on the tongue. Yeah. I'm just saying and hypothetically, I have my, hypothetically, I have my, you, know, you know, preoccupations and navel gazing too. So I'm not trying right. to be, we're not, not uh, trying to be judgy. Just this saying, is an example hey, of like, I need to be reminded a lot of times of like, we, you're, you're wasting your time. You could be more effective. You could be doing something really profound with your prayer and carrying out this mission that could be helping in profound ways that might not feel that way. Right. 
Now, we all have our self-preoccupations, which are inordinate, but there is a phenomenon, and if we could bring in Father Brian Larkin into this room right now, he would call it Catholic fundamentalism, which is to say that something is happening, which is a new kind of rigorism, maybe we'll do a podcast on this, that's reject, that involves a rejection of the world and a disdain of the world, and that this yeah. is a growing phenomenon. And I would say fear of the world. Fear of the world. And there's, this is a growing phenomenon that we need to be attentive to. It's not the topic of the day, but it's moving in the opposite direction. So it's just something we just want to, I think we just need to be aware of. And, uh, yeah. and so because we are radically committed to the world, because God is committed to the salvation of the world, and the power of our prayer and spiritual sacrifice, the priesthood that we all exercise in Christ, we're, it's not just call the priest and have him say Mass. It's like, no, offer the Eucharist that you're receiving. Offer the sacrifices of your day. Take intercession seriously. There's so much that can be done. Just like those Fatima kids. Yeah. They can exercise that power. And everyone who who hears that message and prays a rosary for, you know, first their their I don't know, their the conversion of the world. But I don't want it to be super abstract. That's one another one of the things that I liked what Mary did. Pray for the conversion of Russia. She knew something that was happening yeah. very specifically. And that's one of the things that I think can help sustain our interests and give us like excitement about the mission is go and do research. Um, find out about some of the places that are hurting the most in the world and why they're hurting. And then you can, you can ha- develop compassion. There, like, what does it mean that kids are being sex trafficked in Southeast Asia and, well, everywhere, unfortunately? Um, and then how can I pray for that to end? Yeah. You know, who do I pray for? How can I pray for the end of that system? Um, how can I pray for, um, for yeah, these examples of war? I like those examples because I think it's so tragic that people's, you know, live and grow up in a whole environment of war. Their whole upbringing, their whole life might be lived in the environment of war. And it's not like, okay, what do we do to change the system of South Sudan? I can't do anything. Right. I literally cannot do anything, except my prayers can go a long way to the conversion of people who are involved and the protection of those children who grow up there, comfort, um, the presence of Jesus, the presence of the saints, calling on those things that, for some reason, <laughs> I have been given this beautiful mission for. Beautiful. So take interest. I think take interest. take interest. You can't do everything. Yeah. I think it's also overwhelming if you think, well, I, I should have it. I should have interest in everything that you could possibly list. It's just have a cause, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I want to be able to meet you and say, so what's your cause? What do you pray for? Mm-hmm. And you could quickly respond because it's just a habit and it's a regular thing. And it's something that you have, um, well, I should say discern. You know, ask the Holy Spirit, what, where do you want me? Um, where do you want me to um, direct my prayers? Huh? Mm-hmm. All right, go save the world. Go that's save the big, world. Pretty big task, but that's the amazing thing. So well, it's an interesting framing it in 1917 and just as a final word, contrasting Rasputin trying to change the world by manipulation and control and the, 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 the logic of power mm-hmm. and then the, the little ones in Fatima. You know, um, so that's or the, the big ideologies, right? And we can get caught in that too. Oh yeah, but this just cuts right through it. Yeah. 
What do you got? Very nice. Shout outs. I think uh, we need to do a kind of a warning label on the podcast Celebratio, Celebratio, and be, and the warning label should read, do not um, listen to this while, you know, using heavy machinery, driving your car, car. or driving a, or riding a bicycle. Trying uh, to drink milk. Trying to drink milk, making your bed, anything, because Krista Hickey, a friend of mine, almost seriously crashed from... Goebbels. No, it's dangerous. Escapades at the end of that. I so was shout told out the to same Krista. thing by the yeah. priests up on conference. Yeah, that they they got into a dangerous situation. It's a very dangerous and had to push pause. It's a very dangerous podcast. Probably the most dangerous one. So just just be careful, you know, folks, when you're listening to that one, especially to the end. Um, there's a Beasley wedding coming up. Wilson Beasley, oh, Hannah yes. Wilson, and uh, Will Beasley. Oh, congratulations! And, uh, so shout out to them. They're going to get married. Probably the week after this thing comes out. And so shout out to them. And Tom Beasley, the bro, uh, best man. He's going to give a very funny speech. It's going to be, it's one of these that I'm like, I'm looking forward to that one. So, Right, because you, you know him or he gave you the, I know did him. he run it by I've you? met him and I just, he's just a funny, oh, it's going yes. to be, I'm sure the bride might be a little more nervous, but we'll see. And then Claire is the uh, Hannah's sister. She's going to be sweet. She's gone on hot trips with us before. So okay. She'll be good, so. What about as, as long as we're on the um, getting married front? Uh-huh. Um, Thane and Kat Yazzie, I just did a wedding for uh-huh. a delightful couple, a friend of uh, Rosie's who um, grew up in the neighborhood. Nice. And, um, they're just it was delightful. It was a really fun time to connect with all of these um, all of these folks. A lot of young people from uh, Washington who I feel like we share a common culture with. Just like outdoorsy yeah. and micro brews and yeah. kind of take it easy. Um, yeah, it was a really fun time. And then also, I want to shout out Father Brian Logger. Okay, back in town, and um, just haven't seen him for a long time. He's doing awesome work out there at Fort Hayes. Fort Hayes University. Fort Hayes. And so to all the students out there too. And Michael Friedel, Father Michael Friedel, just Father came through Michael town. Friedel. You saw all these guys; they're passing too quick. And this Saturday, we got a big day. I'm going to be going up to Minnesota. But if you remember the name Becca Messel, now Sister Annunciata Maria of the Father's Love. Little sister, we did a famous podcast when she was going off to the convent. That was three years ago uh, that we did that very awkward podcast, which Paul Palumbo called the Four Celibate Men Attempt a Conversation with a Woman. (laughs) And uh, her answer to everything was, it's such an intense question. And now she's got this great nun laugh, you know, the, the, you know the nun laugh. That's the Does first she, thing you have I, to learn as a postulant. You go, ha, ha. <laughs> they all do that. It's like thirty of them. You're like, whoa. So she's taking vows on Saturday, Queenship of Mary. Um, three years in, so she finished a postulancy year, and then two years as a novice, and it's just beautiful. And then Anne Lacoco is joining her a week later, joining the convent. Catherine Wessel's going to this community up in Ghent, Minnesota. Wait, are you serious? Yeah. Lacoco is going? Lacoco's going. Well, it's just all these beautiful vocations, so we're just grateful. Well, we love you, Becca, Sister Annunciata. Yep. Uh, congratulations. You'll never, hear, you'll never hear this, but, you know. It's a, uh, well, so yeah, somebody. Well, we'll all pray for you. Right. Um, yeah, I think she... It's it's beautiful to see people really um, taken with the Christian life yeah. and giving their whole self in in that way. That's such a profound way of uh, consecrated life. Um, yep. 
So congratulations. That's very exciting. Yeah, congratulations very exciting. for the church. There's a lot going on it's right fantastic. now. We got a lot. We got a lot of good weddings. We got vows. It's just fantastic. It's a good, good time right now. So, but you got to go hear confessions. All right. Well, God bless you, everybody. Like us on Facebook. Leave lots of comments and stuff. Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. <laughs> There's no YouTube channel. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening. Good good topic there, Michael. We'll see you next week, Catholic Stuff Podcast at ciao, Gmail. Ciao, ciao. ciao.